0: All right, well, good morning, good morning. As the kids are heading off to Children's Church, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, again, my name is Michael, I'm the pastor here. If you didn't know, if you're online with us, then uh, welcome. We are glad that you're here. Um, if you're in person, I always like to see you, so uh, in case you were wondering, I do like to see you, so I'm glad that you're here. Uh, grab your Bibles, we'll be in... a. First Timothy six, one through ten. First Timothy six, one through ten. And so, as we jump into the text today, uh, we have a lot of questions. I think when we walk in and you pick up the bulletin and you see doctrine and money, and you are like, "Oh, great! We came on the tithing Sunday. That was that was the one we wanted to be here for, right?" Uh, well, just just to start off. Um, this isn't really so much about tithing, this message, is as much of it, as it is about um, kind of the entirety of the way that we live our lives. So everything from uh, where we go to work to what we say with our mouth to, yes, w- what our pocketbook look, looks like, what, what our taxes look, look, look like at the end of the year. Like I always think if at the end of the year somebody looks at your tax return, which you know, normally most people don't like other people looking at your tax return, and that's okay, but if you were to show that to somebody who you trusted, you're going. Hey, I want to be held accountable to to where where what I do goes to, where my resources, where my time, where my wealth goes. That maybe be might be an eye-opening question for us. Um, the phrase as I was working on this message. Just this uh, phrase came to my mind. Uh, Put your money where your mouth is. We've probably all heard that before, and uh, we most of us probably know what it means. But as I began looking at that uh, meaning of that phrase or where it came from, I, I couldn't really figure out where it came from. So, if you know, let me know. Uh, Most of my research pointed me back to the explosion of horse racing in the 1930s and 1940s, where a an individual who was about to place a bet uh, came to the bookie, so the guy you know I guess you give money to for whatever, and uh, he uh, he you know he asked them this question, you know which horse right which horse do I need to you know put my money on, and of course the bookie will give some advice, say I think you need to put on number three, and so then this classic phrase was uttered to the bookie. Put your money where your mouth is. So he was saying, if you want me to bet on that horse, then you bet on him first, right? And so I think it's easy for us as we, you know, we think about what God wants from us and expects from us. Uh, to, to just go, well, I'm going to do what I think I'm supposed to do, or I'm going to come to church, or I'm going to do this. You know, Someone might say, well, if I'm here you know, half the time, then that's good. You know, God loves it, or if I give this much money. Uh, to be clear, I, I don't want to go over any sort of like, here's the exact percentage that you should do, or here's what, how much you should talk about God when you're at work, or here's what you should do here. I just, I just want the uh, word to inform us on how we should live and operate. So can we do that? Okay. All right. So I some some head nods. That's good. Right. We can do that together. Um, and so I was thinking about this question um, when reading this as well. Um, what if? What if? Or just this idea. What if God placed you here to show the rest of the world your everyday lives, your work, your words, and your wealth, that He's real. I think a should be a weighty thing for us because as we read this text, this is actually exactly what Timothy is saying to Paul and to the church. He's going like, don't just say that you're a follower of God. Don't just go to church. But actually in every avenue of your life, like if somebody were to peel back the layers, like they should go like, yeah, they're who they say they are, right? They're the real deal. And so with that, we'll jump into the first idea today. You You probably already heard it, but first fill in the blank is conduct with work conduct with work. So Paul doesn't really leave any stone unturned. He doesn't go like, you know, there's like a gray area somewhere. He, he turns over as many of the stones as he possibly can for us who have questions, or we go, you know, the Bible didn't talk about that. Well, it does. So uh, here in verse 1, conduct with our word, with our work, it matters. Verse 1 says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled so this is just a simple way to say if you work for somebody who's not a believer who doesn't know God who has never put their faith and trust in him then it really matters how you work it matters how well you work it matters what your work ethic is because for the person who doesn't know God and they're looking at you well I'll just read a quote from another person I think they said it better William J. Tom said be careful how you live you may be the only Bible some person ever reads And you've probably heard that before as well. But when we really think about that, like when we leave this place, when we go to work, we go wherever else we're going, we're just at leisure with our families. Everybody's watching everything that we do. And that summation, it's kind of like if you were to ask yourself the question, like when I am standing before God, I've died, what will people say about me? Like what's the story they're going to tell? Is it going to be like, you know, she really loved that or he really loved that or, or this person really loved God? And like it doesn't matter what area of their life you looked at, they were like totally devoted to God. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's what I would love to be said about me. Hopefully it is true in the end. In verse 2, we see that so there's not only direction for, like somebody you're working for, working with, who's, in, who's not a believer, doesn't know God, but there's also direction for um, this individual who, who is on the same page with you, who who like, you go to church somewhere, and they're really sold out for the Lord um, even more so, Paul says here in verse two: Those who have belie- who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must not serve all they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. So there was this problem going on in Ephesus, and it goes on in our culture too. It's called cult- cultural Christianity. And so um, people would go to the church at Ephesus, and then when they left. They would not really be living for God. They would be doing things in contrary to uh, God's word. And Paul's trying to remind not just Timothy, but the church. It really matters what we do when we leave this place. Because if we're walking out into a lost and dying world that doesn't know God, that when they die, they're going to stand before God and he's going to go, why, why should I let you into heaven? And they're going to go, I was a good person. God's going to go, not good enough. Not good enough, right? Because we know the truth, the gospel. So if someone never goes to church, if someone never picks up a Bible, then what should they see from you? Well, it should be every aspect. And, it, and really just the simply, it starts with work. So it kind of gets progressively more difficult, I think, from there. Like work should be maybe just our baseline of like, you know, when people are like, hey, how's your coworker? Like, yeah, what, are they, uh, what would they say about you? They're really, not, man, they just, they're so nice and they're just peaceful. And they always, you know, they, they have you know good advice and they've got the truth. And, you know, that's what people should be saying. You're not going like, man, I, every day they come to work, I mean, like they're, you know, they're hateful or negative or not very nice. Like Paul's going, it matters, We look like out there, doesn't it? It's true. So that's conduct with our work that matters, right? That's sort of baseline force. What about conduct with our words? Oh, that gets even more difficult, right? I can act a certain way, you know, here and then, you know, at work. But what about our words? What we say? Well, there's this slippery slope that as we as we depart from good doctrine, or we say like, you know, uh, yeah, the Bible's a good source of truth, but maybe it's not the only one, or maybe we can change some things in it. Uh, The church in Ephesus they were doing the same thing. They were going like, could we take part of the Bible? Not all of it. Because there's some stuff we like in it, but there's some stuff we don't. So I going to address that. Conduct with our words. What we say matters. It ultimately affects what we believe. Like when people hear things coming out of our mouths, they're going to go, they're going to understand what our worldview is, right? And if, and if you don't know what that is, worldview is just kind of how, um, how we operate, what we believe. And so people will hear what you're saying, and they'll understand what your worldview is. And they'll, unconsciously, they will understand whether it's cultural Christianity or whether it's real Christianity, Right? So verse 3 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with God in this, it'll keep going, um, but I want to stop here because there's a defensive truth that I think we need to have. And it's difficult as believers. Like We, you know, we, we go other places, right? We go to work. We go you know, out to the store. We, we have personal lives. We have hobbies. And in all those aspects, we should reflect who God is and what Christianity is. Um, but then we get in situations, too, where like, people will say things that aren't true, or they'll make assumptions about God or about Christianity, and, and I think sometimes we just go like, don't just don't say anything, right? just just don't say anything, you know, because we don't want to rock the boat or we don't want people to think we're weird. There's a way to do that in a loving way, and and truth is under such attack today. Um, I, I think Indiana just passed um, a uh, uh, pretty much a full abortion ban. I don't know if you saw that on the news, but a big deal. Of course, everybody's you know rioting and picketing and all that stuff. And I saw this sign of a guy um, who was. Um, pro-choice and and it just said uh pro-life is a lie and i was like how can you make that how can you make that kind of claim but that's where as culturally like that's where we're at like people can put something on a sign and if it rhymes people will be like yeah <laughs> that must it sounds good so it must be true and i just get so sick and tired of that right because we have we have no objective source of morality or truth as a culture and and the bible's screaming at us like you have a voice, and it's not a voice that 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 beats people up or makes them feel badly about who they are. It goes to non-believers. People don't even know God and say you're you're bad. You know you're wrong. You're naughty. Shouldn't be doing this. Uh, instead, we we lovingly approach untruth and we go, "Here's how you could really have freedom. Um, here's how you could really experience life is knowing God." Man, <laughs> pro-life is is a lie. How can how can someone even make that assumption or that say that's truth? Well. Paul's saying here, the the words that we say, the things that we do, the way that we live our lives, they've got to match up. But what we say really matters, okay, especially in the public eye. And in verse number four, who is this kind of person? What what does the world look like? What is even someone inside of the church who either is not submitting to God or doesn't know God at all? Because in Ephesus, this was a problem as well. People were coming to church. They wanted to do cultural Christianity, but they didn't really know God. And so here's what he says. This person, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce evil dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Oh, wow, that's a long list, right? This person's puffed up with pride. They can't ever be uh, corrected. And this is where this leads. Um, it, it's not a good place, right? It's the person who can never be encouraged or corrected or um, what the scripture will tell us we will look further on in First Timothy. He can't be reproved. can't be corrected. Can't be, can't be, um, hey, you know, maybe that's not right. Maybe that's not the truth. But we come up against this all the time. If you look at the original word order here in the Greek, um, it kind of sounds more like this. He has morbid interests in controversial questions, right? And and we've been around, I think, you know, people like that. Hopefully that's not us, Um, but just sort of fixate, like, this deathly fixation on, like, things that are divisive. I mean, you don't have to look very far, right? I mean, that's most of what's on the news, right? Right? Just, like, if anything is divisive, if anything will get a like, or a look, or they're putting it out there, so they can Boost their stats, right? doesn't matter what it is. I remember this week, um, I don't know if it's true, but <laughs> I always have to you know, put that caveat on it when it comes to the news or anything else. I saw this article, and I was talking to Christy about it last night, because we like cats, okay? Don't, don't be mean if you're a dog person, okay? Uh, <laughs> so I saw this article, and it said, it said, hero cats. Maybe you saw it. I thought, well, that seems interesting. So I read it, and there's like this cat that got up in the middle of the night, and it was like pulling the covers off of its owner and, you know, like meowing, you know, some sort of weird, you know, alert mew. I don't know how they would do that, but but some, you know, telling the guy to get up, he gets up, and sure enough, there's guys trying to break into his house. <laughs> he turns on the lights, and they run away, and, you know, of course, everybody loves that, right? You know, those stories, guard cat, hero cat, right? I don't know if it's true, but... Um, you know, some of those things, it's okay for us to accept as truth, but when we come, become so fixated on, like, a cat story's nice, right? Everybody loves cat stories, cat videos on YouTube. Uh, but when it comes to, I mean, like, real truth and, like, things that are just extremely divisive, like, pro-life is a lie. Like, what? I mean, like, how destructive is that phrase to say that all human life is valuable? No, that, that's a lie, man. <laughs> that's a, not, not all life valuable. And that's what they're saying. But the truth matters, what happens? Where does this direction go? So with our words, um, this person is just like morbidly interested in controversy, just trying to stir things up, right? There's no place for that in the church, by the way. And so here's what Paul says. Here's what it's going to look like. Um, this constant arguing. What does it produce? It produces envy. phthanos uh, a, it's a wanting to be like, or someone else, right? And we all have those things creep up in us from time to time. Yeah, This is the person who's solely dedicated and has this morbid interest in controversy. This is all they do, right? So this is not us, and we go like, oh man, I I like that. I like to be like that person. I'd like to have that car. I'd like to have that job. You know, those are things that we we say, "God help us with that," right? You know, take take those things captive because we all have insecurities and things that make us envious at times. But He's saying, "Hey, here, this is the only thing that's going to come from this person, and um, it's not good, right?" So, <clears throat> I wanted to be like somebody else. Now, what about dissension or strife? It's this um, uh, "eris" in the Greek. This word uh, pointing to this like constant uneasiness, right? So. Let me put it this way. When we walk into a room or when we do things as a church, like we shouldn't be in the same space and just feeling like really uneasy about something or not okay. Um, And if someone's producing this in us or if we are, like we really need to be um, searching our hearts for that, right? Because our our work matters, right? What we do outside of this place, um, our words really matter. And um, and those will be clear from the things that are coming out, out of our mouths easily, right? The overflow of our heart. What is it? Well, it's easy to see. And then we've got slander and abusive language. So this is a different word. We saw slander early in First Timothy, and that was a, a word for like devilish talk. Um, this is a different one. It's the word uh, blasphemy. That's how you say it in the Greek. It's where we get our word for blasphemy. Um, so it just means slander, detraction, speech that is injurious to another's good name. Um, I, I always think about that phrase, and we're talking about words and what God expects for us. And, and I think about that. You, know, you heard it growing up, right? Sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Man, that is... That's so not true, right? Words can crush people. I mean, words can destroy somebody. So when we see this here, like, there's no place for blasphemy. There's no place for slander in the church. And as we um, think about this, we we have to go, what what does this actually look like? Well, it's abusive in its nature, isn't it? Our culture's so used to that, isn't it? It's like people can just, they can put whatever they want on a sign. They can, I'm trying not to be political, I'm sorry. I'm just, it's like, this week has been tough. Watching things. So um, we we have to be um, people who, are not just abusing everybody around us. or are not just putting things out there. And it's so easy, isn't it? It's like, you know, social media, you can just put whatever you want. Like, you're having a bad day, and you're like, this person I don't like? And <laughs> here's why, right? It's easy to do, but who should we be? I'm not saying don't say something's not right or wrong, right? So we should stand up for truth and for right doctrine. But the way that we do it matters, right? We can't be abusive in the way that we speak. Um, and then evil suspicions, this is probably one of the ones that's the most damaging, um, and, and it comes from, from people who are, who are so corrupt, and we'll see what this text is going to say about this individual. Um, evil suspicions, huponeo in the Greek, um, it just means this pointing this this idea um, that, that things are just being made up out of nowhere, right? And we've maybe, maybe seen, you've been around somebody like that, or you've seen those kind of things happen. It's, it's really destructive in a church, isn't it? It's somebody walks in and, and has to have attention. So, so what happens? Hey, did you hear this thing happen? Did you? Did you hear what the pastor said last week? Oh my gosh, (laughs) let's talk about that, you know? And so there's this like stirring up and this evil suspicion of like, you know, I always think about like the evil cartoon characters, right? What are they doing? They're like scheming over here. (laughs) They've got these evil suspicions about everything else going on, but but more often than not, it's it's not really reality, right? And so we really have to, even as believers, we've got to take those thoughts captive. It's easy to go, you know, she said that thing, he did that thing, and oh man, like, Th- this must be going on, or that thing must be happening. And we just sort of run with it, right? So we can't be people like that. But what, sh- what should we be like? Well, verse 5, it says, in constant friction among people who are depri- depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So this, this again, it goes along with cultural Christianity. So there's there's people who will you know, say I'm a believer and then not live like it. So this is cultural Christianity. But, but where are they really at? Among people who are Depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. So, so how do you become depraved? You don't know what the truth is, right? You're completely deprived of it, of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Um, the word here for deprived, apostareo in the Greek, um, just means to be like robbed of the truth too. So they not only can't get to it, but any truth that gets said to them. We've felt like this before too, right? We've like we're trying to share the gospel with somebody, or we're trying to t- say the truth, and and they're just like whatever. Or they don't listen. You mean, you know. It's like they're not listening. And so for somebody in that situation who the Spirit has not opened up their heart to receive the gospel, to understand who God is, it, what's happening to all that truth? So they're getting robbed from it because they're so consumed in the world and like what's going on and the fears and the anxieties, which there's plenty of those that go you know, floating around pretty much all the time. And so sometimes we just, we just need to turn it off. Um, I love uh, when Greg shared several months ago, I think before you know, he left, he said, sometimes we just need to turn off the TV. You know, I, I love that about him. He gives some perspective and focus for us. Uh, so what do we need to focus on? Because bad things are going to keep happening, right? Stuff's going to go on. In fact, we'll talk about that as we move throughout. First um, and second Timothy, more bad things will happen. And if we keep going, oh, no, this other thing happened, oh no, then what's going to happen for us? Like we're just going to get robbed, right, of the truth, of the joy that we can have. Um, the kids will um, be at camp this week. You know, they'll have their phones taken away. So I don't know where you stand on any of that. But um, when that happens, like, what happens? Like, they're sitting there with their Bibles, and, like, they come back, and they're like, God, guys, I learned all this stuff. You wouldn't believe it. And, you are know, like, what happened? Well, and they just got alone with the Lord. And you wouldn't believe how many times I'm just like, you know, throw my phone, you know, in the trash or in a lake or something, because we got all this stuff pulling on us, right? And so we can just as easily get... Pulled in this direction where we're misguided. We we can't even receive the truth, and so this can't be who we are. Uh, Jerome, who's a church father, um, influential just during the formation of doctrine. You look like 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, um, which is where a a lot of the letters, a lot of the Old Testament, New Testament uh, was put together and formed for us. And he said this, um, just about kind of our perspective, who Christ is, who we should be. He said, Christ is lowly, let us be made lowly. Christ was crucified, he did not rule. What did everybody expect? Like this ruling and conquering king. Even the disciples up until the time that he went to the cross, like they, they, were, uh, they were going like, okay, you know, when is he going to take the throne? And then it didn't, didn't happen, even though Jesus kept saying, hey, I'm going to go die for everybody. And they're like, Jesus, stop. <laughs> stop. We know what you're really here for, right? But what did he do? He went to the cross. He was lowly. So, so what should we live like, right? Maybe not people who um, lord whatever we do have over everyone else. Because we should have godliness. So some people say, well, I'm going to become a Christian, or I'm going to go to church, and then I, I'm going to expect stuff from God. I'm going to be a cultural Christian, and then I'm going to say, like, God, if you don't give me the things that I want, you know, certainly all the things I need, but also the things that I, I want in life, and if things don't go well, then, man, I mean, you, know, you really mess things up. You must not be on my side. Well, real godliness is of value. It says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If you look at the Greek order, there's a few, a few words that are not in the English translation if you have the ESV, which is what I have. Uh, it says, but godliness is actually a means of great gain with contentment. Because here's what the church thought. Here's what Ephesus, is, as God is giving these words to Paul, uh, he's, <laughs> he's telling the church, hey, it's not just about doing this it's not just about going to church. It's not just about giving whatever you give, your ten percent, or about doing that activity, or about sharing your faith. You know, like sometimes I think we just we feel like if we check off the box, then we're good. Like God's you know happy, and He wants all of us, doesn't He? He Wants our entire heart. Um, he wants our minds, all of our beings, and our lives. And the world's going to look at us and see that. So we got work. We got words. We got one more, but I want to um, read a couple more uh, verses here out of Proverbs one. Because um, this word here for godliness is the word Eusebia. Uh, it just means reverence or piety, respect, or fear of God. Um, and sometimes I think like, when we read that, we read about like being godly or like, this is of great gain for us. It's about having respect and reverence and honor towards God, who he is, and, and that ultimately affects how we live. Um, so we'll actually be starting a series in a couple of weeks, well, several weeks, um, just entitled The Wise Way. We'll be walking through the Proverbs, other places in the Bible just, I feel like we just need wisdom. You know, it's like the world needs wisdom right now. We need it too. Um, so in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Hopefully we'll get some knowledge and discretion to the youth this week at camp. Verse 5, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So my question here is, is our pursuit godliness? And and are we content in that? Or are we just, you know, are we just like longing for that next thing or the things that we think we want that will make us happy? Because he says here, what is godliness about? If we go back to the Old Testament, we understand this, this is entirely focused on having awe and reverence and respect for God. In his direction in our lives, um, and he uses this word here for contentness. So the, we've got this, but godly, godliness with contentment, right? So not just pretending, but godliness with contentment, being at peace wherever you're at, is, is key here. So contentment, a torquia, maybe that's not right in the Greek, a uh, perfect condition of life with no e- need of support. So it, what it really means for us is like, are we practicing godliness, and then at the same time, are we content with where we at, where we are at? Um, and it's hard, isn't it? It's like we're just bombarded all the time with, like, you're not happy because of this. You need that. This will make you happy. If you could just do this, you know, instead of just going, like, godliness with contentment is of great gain, isn't it? Um, I've been thinking about the last couple of years. They've been definitely um, trying on us. Um, I, I had melanoma almost four years ago. Cancer got diagnosed with that for the first time, and... Um, uh, this a couple of months ago, I went in for a screen and then I'll go in for another screen. It's like every six months I got to do that. And there's always these things that, you know, like well up inside of me that, that go like, you know, am I content right now? Yes. Would I be content if it came back? Question mark. God help me. You know? Because um, it just, it comes back to your minds at times and Satan uses those things. It's like whatever goes on in any of your lives, you know, the, the difficulties, the ailments, um, sometimes there's solutions for things and sometimes they're not. There's not. And, and we can't go, well God, my circumstances change, then I'm not going to practice godliness anymore. I'm not going to live for you. And so, I don't know, I've, it's difficult. I feel like all of you have struggled with different things um, in the room for sure and had to deal with that. Um, but I just want to share with you where we're at. And this last year, um, Christy had a massive um, seizure event uh, in January. And all the things that come out of that is got to go to a lot of doctors. And after she spent time in the hospital and she was pregnant with, Sydney, who's actually right here and hasn't made any noise, impressively, (laughs) at this time. And um, so we were concerned with a number of things at that point, but uh, going to all those doctors and, you know, increasing medications and all that stuff, just getting her to a place where she'd be okay. I remember one of the conversations we were having with a doctor, and she's like, yeah, so, you, you know, you had another seizure. That means you can't drive for a year. And I looked at the doctor, I was like, what? wait a second, you, you can't, you can't tell us that. I was, I was all upset about it, and we were coming home, and we were talking about it, and I was, I was so fired up, and I just looked at Christian, like, does that make you mad? And she's like, no. Why? Because she's content. And, and that's so difficult for us, isn't it? Like, somebody tells us we can't do something, or they take something away, or like, our circumstances change, and it's just like, how dare you, you know? And we, we would probably say that to an individual or a doctor, whoever tells us something. But when it comes to God, like we think that, I think, a lot of times. We just go, how, how dare you? Like, we'd be scared to say it out loud, which is a good thing, by the way. <laughs> but we, we should walk with God in fear and reverence, right? Then if, we, if we're walking with him and we're focusing on God and we're really content, like, like Paul's going, man, look at my life. like What's happened to me? Then we should be content, shouldn't we? No matter what. All right, here's the last thing, Okay. So we've got to get to camp, right? We still have to go to camp, right, babe? Okay, right. <laughs> we still got to go to camp to be with the kids. So here's the last thing. Uh, conduct with wealth. So we've got works, well, whatever we do for work. We've got words and we've got wealth. Yes, this is a piece of it. We can't get, a, get really get around it. Like Jesus talked a lot about money because a lot of people really struggle with making it their God. And unfortunately, you make that your God, a lot of other things become idols too. So uh, here, conduct with wealth. Verse seven says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Oh, man. I hope that wasn't the first time you heard that, by the way, online uh, or in person. So we came into the world, being there in the room, uh, luckily for all of our uh, beautiful little girls' births, I was there. You don't bring anything into the world, right? Um, And you don't take anything out of it either, right? You've been at the graveside of a loved one not taking anything with them, right? We don't take anything. And what he's talking about is spiritually. Sometimes people like to leave something with a loved one um, and they bury them. I know Greg and Lori are gonna do that today. So be praying for them because I know it's still, um, man, it's a tough season, isn't it? When when that's where you're at. Uh, So they need strength and encouragement still. Uh, And so when you do that, you might leave something like a ring or a keepsake or something. But, But where are they? Well, they're one place or another, we hope, in heaven with God. And that's what we should be praying for. But, but I love that perspective. Like we don't we say it, but we don't really... I think in, in practice, it's hard for us to believe and live out. Uh, but the world's watching, so conduct with our, our wealth matters. Um, I like what Billy Graham said. He was asked by a reporter this question. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you be doing today? Our, things would probably change for us a little bit. <laughs> wait, wait, he's coming back tomorrow? Okay, I gotta get some things in order. I guess some things changed. Um, and here's what he said. He said, the same thing I've been doing. Preaching the word, telling people about Jesus, thinking about the souls of the lost, and each believer should be living with, a, with their backs packed and a bank account too small to worry about, ready to go. It's like when we have that perspective, and I don't think this is what he was saying. He wasn't saying like, you know, just leave it at zero, like, you know, don't worry, God will take care of everything. Don't save any money for your kids for college. Like, by the way, they'll be really pleased for that. Like, when they get to that point, they'll be like, hey, I'm going to go to that school. It's going to be like a hundred grand. You know, Mom and Dad, you helping me out? No. (laughs) No, nobody's helping you out, right? So what the Word's saying, and what Billy Graham was saying, was not to not prepare for the future, right? Because we don't know. It's like the, the end of our life when the clock stops ticking. Only God knows that, right? So are we preparing, but are we having this perspective that, the way that we live and what people see, and the way that we live our lives really matters because we're not going to take anything with us anyway. Uh, and God's not about not enjoying life, right? By the way, so He wants us to enjoy enjoy the good gifts that He gives us, bless other people, but but not go. This is the most important thing to me. This is the most ultimate thing to me. Okay. Um, I actually, love one of the other who are with us today, right? Uh, Paul. It's all right? Yes, I got it. I was a hard time. Like when Gene's here, I'm like, wait, which brother is this? Which one is that? Um, and so I was talking with um, another. Uh, of his brothers. By the way, I'm glad that you're here. Did you ring the, the bus? Is that the right thing? No. Okay. All right. That's okay. So another, another one of his uh, uh, brothers runs another ministry, um, Ride Recovery, and they've got a facility, the warehouse. Uh, they let our students use before, and I hope he wouldn't mind me saying this. I didn't ask him, so if he's upset, tell me later. Um, he always tells me this phrase. I'm like, hey, can we help cover the cost for whatever, you know, is going on? Like, you know, it's being in the building, all this stuff, and he always just says, he uses this phrase, it's all his, man and I said man if we if more of us were like like I feel bad like the first time he said that to me I was like oh <laughs> more, we should be like that more often right if it's all his then why does it matter our deacons were just um, just talking about that Matt said something similar like if everything belongs to God then why every time when like something gets yanked on or God's like hey I think you should give this away or hey you should use this to bless somebody or hey you should give more to God like hey God's been blessing lately he gave you a special gift you know where some of that belongs God Right, And why do we like twins and be like, wait a second, I can't, I can't give that up? Well, one day, it's all going to go to somebody else anyway. <laughs> We're stewards of it, right? We're stewards of it, okay? So it's all his. That should be our real perspective. Verse 8, uh, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So we use that word for con- being content again. So godliness with contentment is of some is of great gain, right? Um, but if we have food and clothing, like think about that. Most of us have a lot more than food and clothing, Right? God has, has blessed us immensely. When we, when we sit around the table, one of the things we've been practicing with our kids, you know, is just going to like when they say they want something or like, you know, there's like this, this giant project or a toy they want. And it's like hundreds of dollars in it. And they're like, I, I can't believe, like, you guys don't love us because you didn't get that for us, right? I know for us it's different. We got little, little ones. So it's like, you know, some inflatable swimming pool. Or, you know, for you guys, teenagers, it's like, if you don't get me the new iPhone when it comes out, you guys don't love me. <laughs> right, whatever it is like we have those conversations and we're just going like, around the table like look God gave us a roof over our head like, it's raining right now we're not getting wet and they're like what? <laughs> like we're not getting wet like we have things that people all around the world don't have like we ate today there's a lot of people that didn't eat right? so it just gives you perspective like we have clothes <laughs> and uh, or, you know especially a lot look at us be like what? like I just thought that's just stuff we had like it was just a given it's not right? A lot of people don't have these things. So this is why Paul is saying, he's like, we're so concerned about everything else, but, but here's what he says, food and clothing, these will be content. And in verse 9, by the way, I'm not saying like, you know, I know we all, like we, we enjoy life, like some of us like to go camp. We camp, right? We have a camper. We're going to go camping at camp to hang out with the kids in our camper. So we use it for a variety of purposes. So, so God's not saying, don't enjoy life, right? Don't have good things and be able to bless other people and serve God with them, It's that perspective, though, of saying like, if it all belongs to Him, then why am I so like tight fisted with everything? I don't know. That's what God's telling us today. Uh, But verse nine: But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. And destruction. Whoa, that seems like it went bad really quick. What does he say? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It's like we read the story about the rich young ruler, and we all—I think we've all felt bad at times when we read it. We we think like, we should sell everything we have <laughs> and uh, and be like monks, right? Well, how would church and ministry and things happen, right? God uses all of us. Number one, working, being in the world, making a living then giving some of that to him and saying, God, what, what, what do you want to do with it, right? If we, we look at the text, we see that God expects us to provide for our families. We read that a few weeks ago, like, take care of those who are in your family. How do you do that? You have a job, you work hard, right? So what's the overflow of that? Well, it doesn't belong to me anyway, so I can do whatever God needs to happen with it. Uh, Cyprian, who was a church father, Bishop of Carthage in the third century, he said this, while you are afraid, lest, your, lest for your own sake you lose your estate, you yourself are perishing for the sake of your estate. We, we were so concerned. Right? And he, he <laughs> read that, I can read it again, but he really hit the nail on the head there. He was just saying, like, we're so concerned about, like, the portfolio, right? And, and, and God, again, he's not telling us, like, don't have the 401k. Like, don't save, some, like, we're saving money for our kids for college now, because I'm like, how much is it going to cost in 18, 20 years? Like, uh, I'm worried about that. Pray for me. Some peace there. So it's, he's not saying don't do good and right things for your family, for your kids. Don't take care of business. Don't enjoy life. He's saying, don't worry about it so much. This steals all your joy. I mean, like, because what happens with that? When we do that, we're just like constantly worrying, aren't we? I had a professor in seminary. Um, he said this to me. You know, we were talking about money and wealth, and so a lot of people who are going to school to be ministers are like, you know, I'm, just, I'm taking about poverty right now, and he's like. It's okay to have things, right? It's okay to have money. I mean, I'm sure God can bless in ministry, wherever you're at. But then he said, he said this to us, just you don't have to have your idols, money, or possessions, but it doesn't mean that I don't check my bank account every once in a while, <laughs> right? <laughs> knowing that something there, knowing that I can fulfill obligations, um, he said, that's important. But what we love most is the most important. And that's where we come to in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some of us have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Like when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, he, wasn't, he said, the rich young ruler said to Jesus, hey, I've done all this other stuff. I've kept the law. Like a, you know, I've done all these other things really well. I'm really religious. And Jesus is like, good job. Sell all you have. Give it to the poor. And you can come and follow me. And sometimes I think we read that and we're like, if we're not all doing that, then we're not godly. No, Jesus was saying this to this guy because he could see inside of his heart. And he said, if you have any of this stuff, you're not going to love me more, right? And so what did the rich young ruler, if you read the text there, um, he walked away sad. Sometimes it's hard, like especially for the world. Even for us at times, we're like, I don't want to let go. Um, but God's just saying, hey, look, just don't love it. Just don't love it more than you love me. So this phrase here, love of money in the Greek, we're almost done. It's good. Re uh, in the uh, Greek. It just means this all-encompassing focus on uh, gaining wealth. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Like we want to be in a good place. I know that. Like we want our kids to go to a good college. We want you know to stay for the future, um, whatever that might look like. Um, but Matthew Henry, when he was writing his commentary about verse 10, I love his commentary, he said this, What is the root of all evil? The love of money. People may have money, and yet not love it. If they love it inordinately, it will push them to all evil, right? So what's our focus, right? It's not saying, God, I always think we get this picture of God, like he's standing up in heaven and just like waiting to be disappointed with us, you know, like that parent, like we remember making mistakes as kids, but you know, God's sitting there going like, if you do that or if you do this, I'm gonna be really displeased and um, we don't really think about like what God's heart is. He, he's not going, let, let me rip away everything that you could possibly enjoy in life. That's not what he's doing. He's going, enjoy the good gifts that I give you while you are here, right? But don't love any of it more than you love me, more than you love God. Um, if we could just like fixate on that, I feel like that's like the simplest of commandments. What did What did Jesus say when he was asked? Hey, what's the greatest commandment? Lo- love God, right? <laughs> love God and love everybody else. Um, and, and that's the summation of what he tells us. And so, if we come to this place and, and we think that like God hates us to enjoy it, he doesn't want us to enjoy life. That's not what he's saying. But the conduct with our work and with our words and with our wealth, it really matters. So what are we doing with that? Um, how are we living? How are we operating? It matters. Because what is the rest of the world going to do? I mean, they're going to look in and they're going to go, is God real based off of the way that you live your life? And so I love this phrase. It was um, uttered on, a, I think, one of the best albums all time. It was one of the better uh, Christian albums that came out in the 90s. If you remember, on November 21st, twenty first, 1995, Jesus Freak came out in DC Talk. Um, it, it, you know, if you guys grew up like 80s and 90s, like I, I just remember like, especially early 90s, you know, as a little kid, it was like, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of good Christian music, <laughs> right? And uh, DC Talk, you know, Jesus Freak came out and, like it was like the, you know, the best music, right, in the world because you had like these anthems of christianity for young people and uh, before one of the songs i don't remember which one it is on the cd right we still had cds uh so we had those uh there's this guy who comes over the mic and he says this before the song starts playing he says the single leading cause of atheism in the world today is christians who acknowledge jesus with their lips and deny him with their lifestyle that is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable so here's the question here's the idea what if God placed you here, right now, wherever you're at, wherever you go in life, whatever you do, to show the rest of the world that he's real? That In, in the ways that we live our everyday lives, with our work, with our words, with our wealth, the world sees that and wonders, is God real? And they'll get the answer with the way that we live our lives, okay? So work, words, wealth. I want to close with a prayer for us, and I mean, for our... Students and our leaders um, who are away as well, and then we'll close. But if you're here today, if you're online, and and maybe you're just thinking like, I've never lived like that before. Like, I don't, I mean, give money to God and the church. I never, I mean, like, I don't do that. What's God's expectation for those who know him? It is that, right? That our work would matter to us more, that our words would matter, that our wealth would matter, and the world sees that. So maybe if that's you, I'd like to tell you how you can enter into that relationship. Admit you're a sinner. You may have heard that before. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross. And on the third day he was raised from the dead. And see, confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. The scriptures tell us that if you do that, you'll be saved. Um, our kids are going off to camp and they're going to hear that message this week. There's going to be tons of other kids there that many probably have never heard before or have never really made a decision to follow Jesus. And they're going to have to deal with this reality for the rest of their lives. That what they do, what they say, and what they spend their time and their money and their effort on really matters. Because the world sees that. We'll point people to God or away from him. I hope we point him to him. Um, That'd be my prayer for us as a church as well. So let me pray for us and we'll close. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, today, for the word that you give us. Um, God, there's so many real world applications for us. We, at times, feel like the Bible is so outdated or it doesn't apply to us right now, but it does. Um, God, what we do with our lives, our work, it matters. Um, how we serve, how we live, the quality and the ethic of our work matters, our integrity. um, We know it points directly back to you. I pray that we would work well for that. I pray that the things that come out of our mouths would be um, honoring to you, Um, that if other people hear us, um, they would not be pointed away from you, God, but to you um, in gracious uh, love and kindness, Um, that we'd be people of peace um, who who don't walk around envious of others, who don't walk around slandering others, God, uh, who don't cause quarrels. I pray that we would be people who, Encourage who lift up and build up our, not only this uh, body of believers here, but also those that we um, interact with out in the world. Uh, God, we know that our conduct with our wealth matters, whatever it is, um, however we spend our time, our money, our resources. God, I pray that like we, what we've talked about today, um, that, it, that everything belongs to you anyway. We don't bring anything in. We don't take anything out. Uh, help us, uh, help us to have the right perspective. Let us put our money where our mouth is. If we really believe in you and, and we want to honor you and follow you, help us to really live that out in all these different areas of our lives. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Love you, church. Remember, remember, next week there'll be a sign with an address on it that says,